0: Ezra chapter 8, we're continuing on in our series, Going Up, and our text tonight is the second time we read in this book of a group of Israelites, this time including Ezra, going up to Jerusalem to have their journey. Ezra chapter 8. I am going to start just in the the end of the previous verse, chapter 7, verse 28, just to remind us of the context and what happened there at the end. Halfway through chapter 7, verse 28, that's where I'll begin. Hear God's Word. I took courage, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me. And I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. These are the heads of their fathers' houses, and this is the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylonia in the reign of Artaxerxes the king, of the sons of Phineas, Gershom, of the sons of Ithamar, Daniel, of the sons of David, Hatush, of the sons of Shechaniah who was of the sons of Perosh, Zechariah, with whom were registered 150 men. Of the sons of Pahath Moab, Eliho and I, the son of Zerahiah, and with him 200 men. Of the sons of Zetu, Shekaniah, the son of Jehaziel, and with him 300 men. Of the sons of Aden, Ebed, the son of Jonathan, and with him 50 men. Of the sons of Elam, Jeshiah, the son of Athaliah, and with him 70 men. Of the sons of Sheftahiah, Zebediah, the son of Michael, and with him 80 men. Of the sons of Joab, Obadiah, the son of Jehiel, and with him 218 men. Of the sons of Bani, Shelomith the son of Josephiah, and with him 160 men. Of the sons of Bebai, Zechariah, the son of Bebai, and with him 28 men. Of the sons of Asgard, Yohanan, the son of Hakatan, and with him 110 men. Of the sons of Adonikam, those who came later, their names being Eliphelet, Jehuel, and Shemaiah, and with them 60 men. Of the sons of Bigvi, Utai, and Zakur, and with them 70 men. I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava, and there we camped three days. As I reviewed the people and the priests, I found there none of the sons of Levi. Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jareb, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, leading men. And for Joirib and Nathan, who were men of insight, and sent them to Iddo, the leading man at the place Casaphia telling them what to say to Ido and his brothers and the temple servants at the place Casaphia, namely, to send us ministers for the house of our God. And by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion, of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, son of Israel, namely, Sherebiah, with his sons and kinsmen, kinsmen, 18. Also Hashabiah, and with him, Jeshiah, of the sons of Merari, with his kinsmen and their sons, twenty, besides, two hundred and twenty of the temple servants, whom David and his officials had set apart to attend the Levites. These were all mentioned by name. And then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. Pashabiah and ten of their kinsmen with them, and I weighed out to them the silver and the gold and the vessels, the offering for the house of our God that the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel there present had offered. I weighed out into their hands 650 talents of silver and silver vessels worth 200 talents and 100 talents of gold. Twenty bowls of gold worth one thousand derricks and two vessels of fine, bright bronze, as precious as gold. And I said to them, "You are holy to the Lord, and the vessels are holy, and the silver and the gold are a free will offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. Guard them, and keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of fathers' houses in Israel at Jerusalem, within the chambers." of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the levites took over the weight of the silver and the gold and the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. And then we departed from the river Ahava on the 12th day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was on us. And he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. We came to Jerusalem and there we remained three days. On the fourth day, within the house of our God, the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed into the hands of Merimoth, the priest, son of Uriah, and with him was Eliezer, the son of Phinehas, and with them were the Levites, Jozabad, the son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Benui. The whole was counted and weighed, and the weight of everything was recorded. At that time, those who had come from captivity... The returned exiles offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and as a sin offering, 12 male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They also delivered the king's commissions to the king's satraps and to the governors of the province beyond the river, and they aided the people and the house of God. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this Your Word tonight, I do pray that we would be encouraged. In fact, that, that we would take courage in our own journey of faith, in our own journey to the ultimate Jerusalem, your heavenly kingdom, as we see that your good hand is upon us, your people. So come by the power of your Spirit and encourage us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, He treasures up His bright designs and works His sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. Many of you, I'm sure, have heard that hymn before. It's a beautiful hymn written in 1774 by one of the most well-regarded poets of the early Romantic period. His name was William Cooper. Which is all the more remarkable because throughout his life, he was afflicted with mental illness and depression with such severity that he tried to commit suicide three times. He battled with this right up until the day he died. By the way, not by suicide. In the Apostle Paul's words from 2 Timothy chapter 4, William Cooper fought the good fight kept the faith, finished the race. And like Paul, received the crown of righteousness as he was brought safely into the Lord's heavenly kingdom, the ultimate Jerusalem. Such was Cooper's journey. And brothers and sisters here tonight, believers in and lovers of the Lord Jesus Christ, Though the journey will undoubtedly differ, for each of us in the details, the result will be the same. The Lord will bring you safely home into His heavenly kingdom. You will make it to Jerusalem. Deep and unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, Cooper wrote, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Or, in the language of Ezra, the hand of our God is on us." That phrase occurs three times in this chapter. It sticks out. You probably noticed it as I read through the passage. It occurs in verse 18, verse 22 and verse 31. In fact, four times if we include chapter 7, verse 28, which sort of sets up our chapter. It's the thread running through the entire passage and holding it together. The journey to Jerusalem for Ezra and this second group of Israelites coming out of Babylon back to Jerusalem, that journey is successful despite the numerous obstacles because ultimately, God sees to it that it succeeds. God sees to it that His people make it home. Therefore, the message tonight is really quite simple. Take courage, for the hand of your God is upon you. That's the message But specifically, I'm going to draw that out in three ways. For you to take courage, to be encouraged. The hand of your God is upon you in these three ways. Number one, to faithfully obey His Word. I get that from verses 1 to 20 and verses 24 to 30 from our narrative here. Number two, the hand of your God is upon you to deliver you safely home. Verses 21 to 23 and 31 to 34. And then the hand of your God is upon you to glorify His name forever. Verses 35 and 36. And so we'll just take them one at a time. The hand of your God is upon you to faithfully obey His word. Number one. You'll remember we were introduced to Ezra at the beginning of chapter 7. And there we learned that during the reign of Artaxerxes, the Persian king, Ezra, along with others, and we're even told at the beginning of chapter 7, including Levites, he and others, including Levites, they went up from Babylonia to Jerusalem. That's in chapter 7, verses 6 and 7. But curiously, we don't actually read of the journey until our chapter tonight, in chapter 8. If we were just looking at chapter 7 and it's sort of straightforward statement that Ezra and all those with him, including the Levites, went from Babylonia up to Jerusalem, we would miss some of the obstacles that the journey entailed. It wasn't as straightforward as that initial statement makes it sound. And the main reason, not the only reason, but the main reason it wasn't As straightforward is because, a little ways into the 900-mile journey, about 90 miles give or take, Ezra learned that in fact there were no Levites with them. Did you see that in the text? Look at look at verse 15. They've listed the names of the returnees. In the first 14 verses, then we come to verse 15. It says, I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahavah. By the way, no one really knows where that is. But given the, the time periods that Ezra gives us when they departed from Babylon, when they came to Jerusalem, scholars estimate that it's about 90 miles or so from Babylon. And so, he gathers them to the river, that runs to Ahava, and he says, There we camped three days. And as I reviewed the people and the priests, I found there none of the sons of Levi. None of the sons of Levi. Well, that's a problem. Ezra sees it as a problem. But we might ask, why is it a problem? This whole issue of them not having Levites at this point, and then the rest of the the narrative describing how they get Levites, I mean, it, it takes up the heart of this passage. Why is this such a big problem? If you were here last week, Pastor Richard mentioned how important it was for the people of God to, in his words, worship by the book. In other words, God's law, the law of Moses, regulates the right worship of his people. For example, God's law makes clear prescriptions for how sacrifices were to be offered, and by whom, and when. But it also, now more immediately relevant to the issue before us, gives clear prescriptions for the care and transportation of the tabernacle, along with its furnishings and vessels. You can read about this in detail in Numbers chapters 3 and 4. That duty of caring for the tabernacle, especially as they moved it, and with specific reference to the furnishings of the tabernacle and the vessels, that assignment was given by God to the, you guessed it, Levites. Here's just a small sample i just want to give you a flavor here in numbers chapter 3 and the lord spoke to moses saying bring the tribe of levi near and set them before aaron the priest that they may minister to him they shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting as they minister at the tabernacle they shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting and keep guard over the people of Israel as they minister at the tabernacle. So what sticks out there when we're looking at the, the Levites is that they were the ones responsible for guarding the furnishings and the vessels of the tabernacle. And now notice what is it that they do in our text once they've been gathered to Ezra and the rest of the people. This is in verses 28. In 29, notice what they end up doing. Verse 28, And I said to them, he's now speaking to the Levites, You are holy to the Lord, and the what vessels are holy, and the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. Guard them and keep them until you weigh them, before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of fathers' houses in Israel at Jerusalem within the chambers of the house of the Lord. In other words, Ezra, remember, skilled in the law of Moses. Ezra discerned that for this particular journey, Levites were needed to carry the offering. For the house of God in Jerusalem, if they were to be obedient to God's law. See, the house of God in Jerusalem, the temple, was the next stage, if you will, in Israel's history with the Lord of what was in the early days the tabernacle. And so, just as the Levites were responsible for the vessels and the furnishings of the tabernacle. So, also, they remain the ones responsible for the vessels and the furnishings of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And that helps explain to us why Ezra thought, oh, we got a problem. There are no Levites here with us. They need Levites to carry, this is part of their job, it's part of their God assigned role under the Old Covenant. They needed Levites to carry this offering for the house of God, the vessels for the house of God, to obey God's law. And so as soon as he realized in verse 15 that there were none, he immediately took action. Look at verses 16 and 17. Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jareb, another Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, leading men, and for Joirib and Another Elmathan, who were men of insight and sent them to Iddo, the leading man at the place casaphia telling them what to say to Iddo and his brothers and the temple servants at the place casaphia Namely, what's he telling them to say? What is he sending them to do? This, send us ministers for the house of our God. And in context, that means send us Levites. We need them. And some Levites were found. The text goes on and names them, and it's a total of 38. Now the problem was solved, and the journey is now back on track. And they can do so in the way that God has prescribed for them. They can faithfully obey His law as they journey toward Jerusalem. And what does Ezra attribute it all to ultimately? Verse 18. The good hand of God. How was it that these Levites were found? Ezra says, by the good hand of our God. He's the one who provided these Levites for us. In other words, the hand of God was on them to faithfully obey his word. And that's true for us as well, isn't it? The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 2, chapters 12 and 13, such an important text. He says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for or because it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. You have agency and responsibility. Yes, you do. But undergirding all your effort in faithful obedience is the working and the willing of God. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. That's how it works. Take courage, the hand of your God is upon you to faithfully obey His word. That was number one. Number two, we also learn from this chapter that the hand of our God is on us to deliver us safely home, to bring us all away. Notice again, verses 21 to 23 and 31 to 34, so draw your eyes there. Then I proclaimed a fast at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. And so we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty, and then skip down to verse 31. Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. We came to Jerusalem, and there we remained three days. On the fourth day within the house of our God, the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed into the hands of Merimoth, the priest, son of Uriah, and with him was Eliezer, the son of Phinehas, and with them were the Levites, Jezebel, the son of Joshua, and Noadiah, the son of Benui. The whole was counted and weighed, and the weight of everything was recorded. Well, there it is. Both verse 22 and 31 it was because of the hand of God. They were delivered from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes along the way. They arrived safely to Jerusalem. In a caravan that size, carrying literally tons, like we I mean know the weight here, literally tons of wealth, They're walking. This isn't getting to Jerusalem by airplane. With all this wealth that they are carrying over such a long distance and over such a long period of time, they were prime targets for enemies and for those who would want to ambush them, those who would try to harm them in order to steal all that wealth, all those possessions. And so, if we can just imagine the journey, we can imagine the dangers. Dangers all around. And what did they do before they set out? They humbled themselves... They sought the Lord, they fasted, they prayed, all the while believing that he would deliver them safely. Again, so too for us. Consider this passage, 1 Peter 1, 5. We have been born again, Peter says, to a living hope, to an inheritance kept in heaven for us. And then he says these words, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Oh, the importance of little Prepositions By God's power, we are being guarded through faith. Ultimate agency, God, by His power, we're guarded. Intermediate agency, us, through faith. We are being guarded by God's power through faith for the salvation to be revealed to us in the last time. This inheritance that He is keeping in heaven for you right now. Little prepositions, massive theology. And the language of guarding suggests, does it not, that we too have enemies and dangers along the way? Indeed, we do. And here, I was helped this week by thinking of the parable of the soils as a kind of template for the the dangers and enemies that we face along the way. I'll just remind you of what they are there are three of them as Jesus tells the parable Satan himself Paul writes in Ephesians we don't war primarily against flesh and blood no the real battle the ultimate battle is with the authorities and the principalities and powers in the heavenly places that's where the real battle lies The enemy there is Satan. So Satan comes and he just wants to deceive you and he wants to lie to you and he wants to say all kinds of things to you to discourage you and say, ah, you're not a real Christian. Look what you did yesterday. He tries to come and take the promises of the word of God and just rip them right out of your heart and mind. He's an enemy. Number two, Jesus identifies Tribulation and persecution as a potential enemy and danger for us along our journey. In the parable, some hear the word of the kingdom. They hear the gospel message and they immediately receive it with joy. There's an initial response, but there's no root. And so when persecution and tribulation comes on account of the fact that they identify with Jesus... They say, "Uh, not for me. (laughs) Physical comfort now more important than eternal life with Jesus. The tribulations and the persecutions, they come and they just remove the word. And it bears no fruit. That's a danger. Are you ready, church? To suffer, if necessary, because you belong to Jesus. I hope so. And number three, Jesus identifies another danger, another enemy. He names them this time, the cares of the world. The deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. Oh, We could spend a lot of time on this one. This is probably the subtlest. No less dangerous. But the subtlest. These are not even necessarily bad, sinful things in and of themselves. But the cares of the world. Just the, just the day-to-day. Just the difficulties week to week of living in a broken and fallen world. The cares of the world, or the deceitfulness of riches. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Money itself, not the problem. But oh, how it deceives us in holding out so much promise and hope of fulfillment and joy and it's gone in an instant. Jobs are lost or we die and it's gone. The deceitfulness of riches. Don't succumb to that enemy or desires for other things. Other things. Things that come in and Seek to replace desire for God. It's idolatry. It's the forsaking of Him who is the fountain of living water for all kinds of other things that we think will satisfy, but in the end don't. That's another danger. It's another enemy. Whether it's Satan, whether it's tribulation or persecution, whether it's the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, or the desires for other things, these are the enemies and the dangers all around us that threaten our own journey to Jerusalem, our journey home. But, brothers and sisters, take courage. Why? Because the hand of your God is upon you to deliver you safely Home. He will do it if you are His. By His power, you are being guarded through faith to reach the end, to be finally home. Or in the words of John Newton, Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. That was the second specific way that the hand of our God is upon us. And finally, the hand of our God is on us to glorify His name forever. Just again, verse 35. What happens when they arrive? What happens when they finally get there? At that time, those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles who were already there, along with Ezra and the new group who had arrived... They offer burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and as a sin offering, 12 male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. So what did they do after they got to Jerusalem? They (laughs) worshipped. They gave their sacrificial offerings. Again, we see that they're worshiping by the book. Those are the offerings the Lord prescribes, and they're faithfully following them, but this is their worship. This is worship, and that's what they do when they arrive. But what does this mean for us now on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the offerings? The Lamb who was slain. What does that mean for us? Well, a handful of things. In view of God's mercy in Christ, Paul will say in Romans chapter 12 that we worship by offering our bodies as living sacrifices to Him. Holy, acceptable, pleasing to Him. That is, we live our daily lives in the conscious awareness that we are living for His glory. Whether we eat, whether we drink, we do all to the glory of God. We worship. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, we offer up sacrifices of praise with our lips and we offer sacrifices of good works, good deeds that He is so zealous for us to walk in. The Apostle John In Revelation 7, though, gives us a glimpse, a glorious glimpse of what our worship will entail forever and ever. I want to read it for you. Revelation chapter 7. Then one of the elders addressed me. John is speaking saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've come out of the dangers. They've escaped from the enemies. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. That's worship. Worship Him day and night in His temple and He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and He will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Home. In His presence. We worship now by faith. We will worship then by sight. Be encouraged. Take courage. For the hand of your God is upon you to glorify and worship his name forever. Simply close with this. If God is for us, You could finish it for me. Who can be against us? Let's pray. What a strengthening promise, Lord. That you are for us. That your hand is upon us to faithfully obey, to bring us safely home, and to glorify your name forever. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises to us. And now we ask that as we go into this next week, we would be encouraged. Strengthen us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.